Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. This morning, amen, before we get into that, though, remember next Sunday night, correct? Next Sunday night is uh, Brother Zach and Sister Malin's uh, long-delayed uh, housewarming party, I should say. Uh, we're going to be uh, mindful of how we do that. We'll have a couple tables set up in the back to be able to hold uh, gifts and things of that nature. They are registered at Walmart. That registry is still uh, live and active, and so we're going to try to do that. It was from a long time ago, back in the beginning of all this COVID debacle, and, and such, so uh, we're going to try to follow through and get that accomplished because now they're expecting a child, you know. And so if you don't watch, you have all these, these celebrations in one. They'll be wanting Christmas and, you know, child thing and the, all of it all at once. But uh, nonetheless, we want to do this. We love and appreciate them, and they uh, for sure have been a big help around here uh, through our COVID uh, time from March forward, and we're thankful for, for their dedication. And they were just that, dedicated for sure. And uh, there was a moment of time that Brother uh, Zach had to go tonight some work. And so Sister Malin says, just give me the reins and just let me. And she did a great job. There's even sometimes she'd let you all see her face on online. And so she did. <laughs> I still got photos of that on my phone just for appropriate times. But uh, amen. Love her to death. Love her to death. Amen. So, yeah, that too. Amen. Amen. I'm going to read just a scripture this morning to kind of get us springboarded today. Uh, last week, and I'll tell you again, we're, we're just going to wade through some thick waters. All right, here this morning, we have over, this is week number five of this particular section of our series uh, on the Godhead. And so we have looked at uh, scriptural basis and here last week and finishing up this week, we're looking at some historical basis. All right. And uh, so I'm probably going to just recap a little bit and kind of just go backwards again and pull us forward uh, this morning. But uh, we will not by God's going to help, but we will finish this out today. Okay, I'm I'm utmost confident about that. But uh, I'm going to just read from Colossians chapter number two, uh, verses eight and nine, going back to uh, a verse that we all adore, verse number nine. But understanding again the context where it was at uh, whenever he wrote this. All right, to the church of Colossae, and just for the church at all. And and the apostle Paul doesn't just admonish the church at Colossae, but other churches, Corinth, Galatia. There's many times that he is, he is warning them uh, that, you know, I, I've come, we've established churches among you. I'm writing letters to check back on you. And he's let them know on more than one occasion, different churches. He said, there's going to come, he said, there's going to come others that's going to come in that's going to try to pervert what I have said unto you. They are going to try to muddle and mix uh, what has been spoken. It, it may have a sound or a resemblance very close uh, to what I have given you, but note well that, that it, is not, it is not the totality of truth that I have first conveyed unto you. And so uh, he says then in Colossians 2 and verse number 8, he says, here is his, his warning. He says, beware lest any man spoil you, which is lead you astray through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men 
after the rudiments or the thinking of the world and not after Christ. For in him, speaking of Christ, that's the him it's referring to, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And so within that context of beware, the traditions of men, the thinking of the world, all these things, he says, for in Christ Jesus dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead or the divinity bodily. And so we're going to continue today speaking about the Godhead this morning and try to get through this. Also, I'll state one more time. We have these out in the foyer on the little table. I made mention of it somewhere in these past five weeks. And Sister Penrod wanted to order her one and couldn't get one. She got a hundred. And so if you if you want one of these old prophecy wheels that goes back between the scriptures of like uh, Jesus is coming and God is coming or where it states that God is the king or Jesus is the king and gives the scripture references, there's some out there. And if those run out, I would just dare to to say she probably has more and uh, so there's 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 one out there for any everybody that's here today i say so uh, if you want that amen you can pick that up no charge to you as you leave this morning i'm going to pray today god would help us here in this place father we love you i pray lord you would help us now lord as we turn our eyes in our direction one more time god towards some of these historical aspects god of some developments lord jesus that took place over time in contrast lord to what you had stated lord in your word from the very beginning of time i pray oh lord today that you're able to help us open our minds hearts and understanding God and we'll give you the praise and the honor God for what you accomplished today in the lovely name of Jesus Christ I pray amen amen of the church say amen amen so good to have you good to have my in-laws with us today amen from Tennessee in the house of the Lord so grateful for them and uh, it's good to see the newborns and stuff here and grandmas and moms and and so and so moms to be and we just, you know, there's more than one way to grow a church. There just really is. But uh, you got to talk to the powers of be that still have the ability, you know. So, uh, amen, amen. I want to go back to our timeline from last week and throw that up there again. Uh, what I conveyed or put together as a basic timeline of uh, the Trinity development. And again, you could have a whole lot more little circles up there in between some of those time periods uh, because the... Uh, it seems like one person adopted aspects that a generation previously to them uh, developed and then interworked it and built upon it a little bit. And then the next generation kind of took from that and it, uh, you kind of had bits and pieces of this all in there. Uh, but in reality, uh, before this idea of three or, or a trinity as it is known today, this idea of a three goes all the way back even into the pagan culture, all the way back uh, to uh, Nimrod in you, that's found even in your Bibles in Genesis 10 and Genesis 11. The Bible speaks of Min Nimrod being the son of Cush and uh, that he was the beginner of a kingdom or started his kingdom, one of which was Babel or Babylon uh, that we know of in Genesis chapter number 11 where we read that these men had strengthened their hands and got together and said, we're going to build this tower that reacheth unto the heavens. Uh, and so as they began to do so, and at that time they were all of one, one land language in one tongue and because they had this arrogance uh, that that they were going to do this God came down and it's in your Bibles of Genesis 11 and this this Babel this Babylonian thing is is uh, the perpetuation if you will of Nimrod and uh, Nimrod for that matter 
I think I don't have it up here, but I have it on the next slide. Uh, there, there was a threeism among the Babylonians of Nimrod being revered as a god. And uh, then there was the mother, which was Semirius, that was revered. And then they also had a, a son as two, uh, Temuz, that was revered. And they were all revered as gods. And so as early as back in, in the Babylonian era, and we're talking about Genesis chapter 11. And when you think about that, that's quite mind-blowing. But they built this tower, and so God came down and confused their, their tongues, their languages, uh, then thus being unable to communicate with one another in order to do what they were wanting to do. And there's the dispersing of the people from that place. Then at that moment in time, they're dispersed into all these different areas of the then-known world. And so you have this concept of this three God aspect with the father, the mother, and the son as it was in Babylon, that being dispersed in, in tongues and languages into all regions of the world. And we see it cropping up again and again uh, throughout history. If you go on to my next slide, so that's just a, or just go backwards just one more time to the timeline here real quick. So after that, we have Plato. And again, there's other stuff in between this. Uh, Plotinus, we have Tertullian. We'll talk about him today. I told you last week about those Greek monks that before there was ever the council of Nicaea 325 AD, these people who were largely uh, scientists and mathematicians uh, by math, they wanted to find out where the center of the world was, the zero degree latitudes, zero degree longitude uh, there wasn't a city there but they drew a they drew a, a circle out until it would hit it was about I think 50 miles from that that center of the earth out and it hit uh, Nicaea which was in what would known to be today as Turkey and uh, they went there and they studied just the number three in, in religious and mathematic and scientific ways and that was before the council of Nicaea ever came up in 325 and then you have the council of Constantinople in 381 and between those two you have about 20 or 30 council there's a lot of talks going on all right a lot of discussion going on until finally everything uh became more settled concerning even the trinitarian doctrine uh at the council of chalcedon and in in 451 a.d but if you go on into the next slide what i'm talking about this this threeness or that started out again started out in the pagan roots of babylon going forward we have the babylonians as i said nimrod semiramis uh, uh, and tammuz but even the egyptians they pick up on this as well and they have a three uh, osiris isis and horus and then if you were to go over the greeks they pick up this three. They have their main three of Zeus and Athena and Apollo. The Romans have theirs. Jupiter, Mercury, and Venus. The Hindus even have theirs. Uh, Brahma, Vis, Vishnu, and Shiva. And so this is developed over time. So I, as I say, one generation kind of picked up on certain aspects of another and then incorporated it in their own. But it's not until we get into somewhere around the fourth or even a little earlier century that we see that Christianity picks up on this idea and what was formerly a, a pagan polytheistic idea solely kind of blended over now into the church. All right, into Christianity. And so as we talk about this, we talked about Plato some 
Last week, uh, he, he came, and he, we're talking about in the B.C. now, all right? He come up with this idea. He wrote a thing called the Timaeus, and uh, within that, he had this idea that there were three entities or three beings in the world, and he even uh, illustrated it by an equilateral triangle, and at each point, he had his per se entities or gods, uh, nos, mino, and thedo, he put on there, and there was some guy that came after him, and I know this is his history, brother McGee. Really, but listen, I think it'll give you appreciation uh, for where a larger part of society is today, and it gives you uh, the idea that this wasn't something that was just started in the third, but where it really got its roots from. All right, and so with that in mind, uh, then Plotinus came after him, uh, like Lycopolis. Egypt. He was from Upper Egypt. And so he had this idea, and you can read about all these things, Neoplatism, you can read about it. So he takes this idea and he has his three. He says there was a divine mind, a demiurge, and a spirit. And so he's mixing a little bit of the Platonic or Plato's theory. Here he is adopting some of the thing, but he's also from Egypt. So he has some Egyptian mysticism, isn't he? So he, he's, he has some of this, you know, Osiris and Isis stuff that he, he has involved in his life too. So he's melding all these things uh, together. And so he did so and uh, had his own interpretation of things as well. And so what all of that does, though, you got to understand, we go all the way back to beginning. We go all the way back uh, whenever God called Abraham away from his people, his kindred, his tongue, which was a polytheistic group of people. God called him out of that. And I think it's important to understand that if God called a man to start the Jewish people in Judaism, the father of what would be revered as the father of Jews, if he called him out of that, I don't believe it would be the will of God for us to go back into that. Amen. And so he called him, he called him out of that. And so Judaism was known even in the New Testament, uh, well known by uh, those of even Greek philosophers and, and Romans, and they were, they were, the Greeks and the Romans did not admire uh, the Jews, and this is one thing that I have read, the reason why they did not admire the Jews, and it's still yet very telling, they did not admire Judaism because of its exclusiveness. Its exclusiveness, what? They believed in one God, Right. Their exclusiveness and for the other matter, uh, what they believed, they didn't necessarily tie and tether it to philosophy, which was big to the Greeks. Right. New Testament scripture tells us that, you know, the, the Jewish people sought for a sign, but the Greeks for wisdom. And so uh, they said since they since they didn't link it to any type of philosophy, they, they also didn't look upon them because of that. And then the Romans, there was a Roman politician uh, in the first century by the name of Cicero. He didn't much care for the, the, the Judaism as well. And in his view, what was wrong with the Jews is that uh, it's not just the particular rights that they had, but it was because of their lack of statues. You heard me right. Their lack of statues. All right. The fact that they were very different because all of the pagan polytheistic, you know, ways. Man, if you have a God, you have a statue to that God. You can have God of wood. You can have God of stone. You're going to have a statue to it. But Judaism didn't have a statue. Our Ten Commandments tell us, thou shalt not grave into thee, thou shalt not have any graven images. Right? He said, even when you build your altars, he said, build it of unhewn stone. Because he want, didn't want them to be tempted to take a chisel and a hammer to it and make it something in the likeness of anything that they may fall prey to to worship. And so they didn't have no statues, as it would be said. But with that, 
And I'm saying early Christianity. I'm saying first century Christianity. I'm talking about Pentecost Christianity. I'm talking about in the book of Acts, they were first called Christians at Antioch Christianity. Okay. Early Christianity, uh, many times, they were looked upon by many of the other religions and groups of the world as being godless because they didn't have statues to represent their God. But our God is spirit. Huh? He is the invisible God, the New Testament scripture tells us. Unless he chooses to manifest himself as he did in the man, Christ Jesus. And so all of this then brings us uh, to another character in our historical timeline. If you go on to my other slide, in our historical timeline, and that is a man by the name of Tertullian. Amen. A name, Tertullian. I'm looking here and making sure I'm not gotten out of order in any way because I would hate to do that. Amen. So we come to Tertullian, and Tertullian had some ideas as well. Uh, he was a Catholic lawyer. You can see the time frame of his life. He is the one that somewhat generated a hypothesis of the Trinity. He adopted Plato's Timaeus, which was, again, very mathematical and celestial and uh, almost incomprehensible. <laughs> and uh, he changed some of the points of the triangle of Plato, and he changed them to this. So Plotinus had changed them, and now here comes Tertullian again, adopt them part of it and change them. He changed them to God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Ghost. All right. And so whenever we learn of Tertullian, we understand that, again, he's a Catholic. He's a Catholic lawyer. He's the first Roman church father to use the word uh, Trinitas, which is Latin for Trinity. And so this this is this this gentleman. Amen. If you go on to my next slide, because I know I skipped one along the way. Yes. New International. We stopped with this quote uh, and we had a lot of a lot of. Uh, other books and references that came to bear on what we were talking about. But it spoke this concerning the story of civilization and Caesar and Christ. He said, from Egypt came the idea of a divine trinity. But Christianity did not destroy paganism. It adopted it. And I think there is no point more important to understand that it first began as pagan and then it kind of filtered over into, quote, unquote, Christianity. All right. There's another uh, slide. If you'll, you go to our next slide, if it's the one that I'm thinking of. Tertullian wrote of praxis. Yes. There, here's the thing. Not everybody that was uh, in these different eras and time frames, not all of them were trying to come up with a Trinitarian doctrine or trying to come up with a three God type of scenario. There were still from the very beginning of time, people who were solely monotheistic, meaning they believed in one God only revealed in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Praxis was one of those individuals. There are other men just like him. Uh, you could read of them. Sabellus is another one. If anybody just wants to write it down and Google it, uh, you can look it up in your own spare time, something to read as you go to sleep at night. <laughs> but there are other individuals out there that were monotheistic. But Tertullian wrote of praxis, and this is what he said. It's, it's, a, it's a manuscript that is still in existence today. He said, he, speaking of praxis, Tertullian speaking of praxis, he said he maintains that there is only one Lord. He says that the Father himself came down and was himself born in Jesus Christ. And I, 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 I agree with what, he is, with what he is saying. And so uh, Tertullian spoke of that. Tertullian, even along his way of writing these things and having his idea, whenever he first wrote his hypothesis of the Trinity, 
people that were uh, in his group, if you want to call about that, people that he ran with, uh, even rejected his hypothesis based upon two grounds, according to history. Number one, they thought that, that Tertullian's doctrine and hypothesis of a trinity was polytheistic in its real origin. Then they also believed that his hypothesis of a trinity was dividing their one God. This is his own people that he was under speculation with. And so eventually he was excommunicated uh, from the Roman church, but his hypothesis and doctrine continued to live. And it would live in the next generation when we finally come to the Council of Nicaea of 325 A.D. Constantine uh, would become the first, uh, the first emperor to become fully Catholic. He was the first emperor to come fully Catholic. As a matter of fact, he made the Roman Catholic Church Rome's official church, which is something quite different across the world that had ever been done before. Because now then we have a church that has both law and political power on its side to make it a great reckoning force. Because we'll see later that they would then have the ability to say that anybody that did not accept the Trinitarian doctrine would be subject unto death, and they could enforce that because now it's not just a church. It's a political, law-bearing power. Amen. And so Constantine comes along. Uh, he's quite the character to begin with earlier, and, and, and no marks to him. Earlier before he became uh, the fully Catholic, uh, he had murdered and killed and Thank God all of us have a past, right? The Apostle Paul was a Saul before he became a Paul and so on and so forth. But he finally decided to convert to, quote, unquote, Christianity. And he wanted to uh, group together the Roman Empire. Uh, this is historical. At that time, the Roman Empire was, quite, was fledgling. It was, it was struggling. And so he was wanting to unite it. And here's the thing, though. Though he became a, quote, unquote, Christian, he did not practice Christianity. I know I've never seen that in apostolic church. He became a full-fledged uh, Catholic, but he didn't practice true Christianity. As a matter of fact, after he professed to be a Christian, they had the big council Nicaea in 325. In 326, he killed his son, his nephew, and his wife. Oh, what a change. <laughs> Amen. So, you know, as a matter of fact, History says that he purposely, he purposely delayed in being baptized in water until just a short time before his death because he wanted to continue to sin and then, before dying, be cleansed of all his wrongdoings. Some of you are staring at me like, what? I'm just telling you what history says. So it can be, be, you know, of all of his lifetimes of sinnings, it can be taken care of just right there before the moment. Well, I hope accident didn't happen. Is everybody all right? <laughs> Amen. And so he became aware of this great dissension uh, in Rome and in the church. And so he called for a council of 325, Council of Nicaea. There at that, that place, 
uh, in what's known today as Turkey, at that place where all those uh, monkish Greeks had already been there. Oh, three. What about three? Talking about three, you know, uh, mathematically and, and scientifically. And so then they come to this location and they begin to talk about uh, the Trinitarian doctrine that had come even through some of the development of Tertullian, but primarily by a, name, a man by the name of Athanasius, who was quite a character as well. And so they begin to talk about the dogma, a man of the Trinitarian doctrine. I want to share, I think it's our next slide uh, with you. Amen. At the beginning, yeah, that's the one. At the beginning, Christianity inherited the monotheism of Israel, but gradually developed the elaboration of the doctrine of the Trinity. Around the fourth century, an elaborate theory of a threefoldness in God appeared. In this Nicene or Athanasian, which is the person I just spoke to you of, form a thought. God is said to consist of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, separate and distinct from each of the other divine personages. All right? And I told you last week, here's, here's the problem whenever sometimes you go back and read history. At this point in time, people who were monotheistic are going to be called heretics. They're going to be called false. They're going to be called what they're teaching and saying is heresy. And so when you read that and they're talking, well, they're heretics. Can't be talking about the monotheistic. Well, that's what you're thinking from this point of view. But then uh, they were calling people that are just like you this morning a bunch of heretics. All right. And so here's something else to consider whenever you're talking about Constantine and Rome and and all of these things. At the, early on in the Roman Catholic Church, there wasn't a pope. There were just bishops. And largely, many of those bishops that even were ruling out of the basilica at Rome, they were not Italian. They were Greeks. They were Greek bishops. And they already got some heritage in the Greek line that they can pull into Christianity concerning their threeness of gods and their philosophy that they had there. All right. And so this 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 begins to happen. It, it, it's right under our nose, right under our eyes in these centuries. And so Constantine, after they had the first council, they were trying to, they were kind of figuring out the God, the father, God, the son aspect. But the Holy Ghost was still kind of over here on the table to figure out what to do with it. And finally, they, they came to give it its place a little bit more so in the 381 A.D. Council of Constantinople. And it was there at that council in 381 that the church then, and when I say the church, the church at Rome, gave the death clause in their council that anyone that did not accept the, the quote-unquote new doctrine, that's oftentimes what they called it, that they were condemned to death if they did not accept the triune God. So what do we have here? We have people that might be believing in one God, People that are believing in this aspect of one God in three distinct separate persons, yet he's still one. Amen. And if they, the one God people, solely do not accept this, you're going to die. So you want to talk about a trial of your faith. Mm -hmm. I guarantee you there were people that buckled just because life was on the line. Right? People buckle because life is online. You know, whenever they had the first council of 325 A.D., that there were many oneness type of organizations that were there in the Eastern Hemisphere, but none of them were invited to the council. Amen. For that matter, whenever you think about the concept of the Trinitarian doctrine, the common phrase that they used to have is there's three and one and one and three. And I want to state something that came from uh, uh, Constantine, if I can. He stated these words. 
he said, he said, men will be disposed to Christianity. When he said Christianity, he's talking about Trinitarian Christianity. He said, men will be disposed to Christianity if they find they are promoting their worldly interest. He said, hold out temporal advantages as inducements to conversion. In other words, Constantine, of course, he's a ruler. He's an emperor. He's about power and law and politics. How can I get parties that believe in one God and a multiplicity of gods all on my side? If I can get a terminology that leans enough to one that's talking about one God, yet at the same time talk about him being in three distinct persons, Maybe I can pet the oneness people over here with the one God terminology and still be accepting to the people that believe in multiple gods by talking about the three distinct persons over here. You know what he was really trying to strike was a compromise to get the following of two people groups. Amen. To get the following of three or two rather people groups. And so he was he was somewhat uh, successful in that, especially when he puts the death sentence out upon those that would not accept. And now we have them being the official church of Rome. They had the law and the power to enforce that. People would die for the purpose of not accepting it. Amen. Brother Zach, can I go to the rise of Christianity slide there? Uh, why Constantine put forth the... Yes. Why Constantine put forth the Trinity without inquiring further into the meaning of the terms, we do not know. However, the emperor had spoken, and no one dared touch the creed during his lifetime. The great majority of the Eastern bishops found themselves in false positions. All right? So most of those that had become apostate, not an apostolic. Most of those become apostate, meaning they have left the faith of Judaism, adopted the doctrine of the Trinity at that time because their life was on the line. Listen, folks, in the Bible, there was Judaism and Christianity really arose out of Judaism, but finally separated itself from it and has become something entirely different than what it began as. All right. And so uh, the Bible also says in the Encyclopedia Britannica, just another reference, neither the word Trinity nor the explicit doctrine appears in the New Testament. The Council of Nicaea 325 stated the crucial formula for that doctrine. It is in its confession that the son is the same substance as the father, even though it said very little about the Holy Spirit. Over the next half century, Athanasius defended and refined the Nicene formula. And by the end of the fourth century, under the leadership of Basil of, of Caesarea and Gregory of Nice and Gregory of Nicenzus and Cappadocian fathers, the doctrine of the Trinity took substantial form and has maintained that uh, ever since. One more New Catholic Encyclopedia states when one does speak of an unqualified Trinitarianism, one has moved from the period of Christian origins to the last quadrant of the fourth century and so it may go all the way back to Egypt but as far as it being Christianized doesn't really take place until the third and fourth centuries amen and it became the doctrine of the church and it has evolved and it has been developed over time right now we got to again differentiate that do we go back all the way to the beginning about this monotheistic, this one God that only represented himself in one person, Jesus Christ, goes back to the beginning. So if you're gonna if you're gonna follow really the true history of anything, you got to go to where it began. 
right? Let me talk to Brother Fred. When, when did, you, when did your, your shop and your business begin? You know? He's not going to talk just about the heyday year, maybe when it was just off the charts and busy, 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 busy. No, 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 no. He's going to go back to the very beginning before the building stood. Right? So we got to go. We must go back to the beginning. Now, I said all that, but I don't want you to think that during all these periods of time that there wasn't people that were heralding and propagating the original doctrine of the oneness of Judaism, all right, that, exact, that existed throughout history because there were people uh, who were braving persecution. There were people that were not being taken in by the traditions of men. They were not being taken in uh, by these things, and they were propagating, and thus it lives still yet today even among, amen, us. Brave men and women who held firm the Biblical doctrine of hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And these are some of those men, I think if I have our next slide, these are some of these people that you can read of, and there's even those that are later than them. Uh, Megetus was condemned to death for his oneness beliefs uh, around 782 A.D. Peter Abe Lard of France was condemned in the 12th century because they were standing for this oneness faith. Almeric of Bina, he likewise. Michael Servetus, that's one that you can read a lot of. There's still historical record out there. Michael Servetus, he was a Spaniard, brilliant guy, uh, who first discovered that uh, the, the pulmonary circulation of blood, so he's he's intelligent guy, and he was burned at the stake in 1553 with acid poured on the top of his head because of his oneness belief of one God, and he has a book uh, that he wrote the restitution of Christianity, and he wrote, this is what Servetus wrote, he says, I find, this is in 1553 time era, I find no separation in the one God, he says. There is no separation between Christ and God. He and the Father are one as the ray and the sun are one light. For he who was of one time the hidden God of Israel now is made manifest. And this is the appearance of our Savior Jesus Christ and God and, it, and his spirit that fills all men. So he says, I don't see a division in this one God. I'll take acid on my head. And he did for the sake of it. And there was another man, Julius, there that also supported the oneness of God. And uh, Trevanus, and the Bible says, or not the Bible, history says, history records that as Trevanus was pushed into the water with a millstone around his leg, they were drowning him, he cried out, Jesus is my God. Amen. Someone that you might know up there that's familiar to you is Sir Isaac Newton, right? Laws of gravity, science, things of that nature. Great scientists of his century wrote a manuscript entitled A Historical Account of Two Notable Corruptions of Scripture in which he was hostile to the idea of a Trinitarian concept and belief. There might be another guy up there you recognize, or if you maybe you don't realize it, but you know, William Penn, from where we get the state Pennsylvania. William Penn, founder of the state of Pennsylvania, he was imprisoned in England in 1668 for writing a tract entitled The Sandy Foundation Shaken, which was nothing more but a treaty against the doctrine of the Trinity. And so he later fled to America to escape the religious persecution he was getting in England and went to America. And so now everybody wants to move to Pennsylvania. Amen. So, <laughs> amen. I do like Pennsylvania. It's a beautiful state. Uh, but nonetheless. So there's always, everybody say always. There has always been a segment. 
from the beginning of the, of the world, God has always left himself a remnant. From the beginning of the world, he has always left himself a remnant. Even as Elijah's standing there and Sister McGee taught on it a few Wednesdays ago for our kids, even he stood there and, and felt like he was the only one and the Lord said there are still yet 7,000 that have not bowed their knee to Baal. He's always left himself a remnant of people. Amen. Through all the persecution, through all the debacle and destruction that happened uh, to Jerusalem, uh, left in fire, taken away to Babylon, he's always had a remnant of people through every century and through every age. Amen. That is held to these precious truths of God's word, of God's word. Amen. Uh, this morning, and sometimes it's the minority, you know. The Bible says in Jude chapter number 1 and verse number 3 and 4, Again, the writer is, is, is given some caution. He said, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, he said, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you earnestly contend for the faith which was once, or if you will, originally delivered unto the saints. Now, this is, this is where he was. He said, I wanted to talk to you about salvation. He said, but I couldn't talk to you about salvation without having to talk to you. We got to go back to our roots. We got to go back to what was once delivered to the saints. He says, for there are certain men, even there in the biblical time. He said, there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, listen today. In all of this, I'm not speaking evil of anybody. What I'm saying is this, that people have uh, come indoctrinated by history, real just history, more than they have biblical history. They have, they, have been, uh, they have been educated by thoughts of men more than they have thoughts of God. All right? And so that's what I'm looking at. I'm, I'm not talking down to anybody. It's just that there is a different lens that they are viewing things through. A man-made lens and there is a God-made lens. And we got to stay true to the God-made lens. The reason why there were creeds and anything that were ever made, you know, all of the creeds in the world, their real purpose, their purpose is to be a litmus test for people's beliefs. Amen. Well, folks, listen, I, I don't have, a, I don't have a, a paper one up here today, but the Bible, I don't need another creed. The Bible is the litmus test for our beliefs. I don't have some man to sit down and paraphrase what he thought this man, right? I got the Bible. This is my creed. This is my doctrine. Amen. This is my creed. This is my doctrine. This is my lens, Brother Terry. I don't, I, don't have to have a, I don't have to have a committee to get together to try to come up with anything any better. That's good enough. It's, it's good enough. Amen. So I, and I, I knew I was, I'm going to end here a little early today, and everybody's fine with that. I know because I've, I've held you like the children of Israel in bondage for the past few weeks. But... Um, <laughs> So to say that a popular concept today of God is non-biblical in terminology would be correct. You cannot find that in your Bible. You can't find that. The Trinity, the Son, God. You cannot find uh, God, the Son terminology. You cannot find the three in one, one, three. You cannot find any of that terminology in Scripture. 
but also in historical origin that we have spent now for two weeks on looking at. Roots all the way back to Babylon and Nimrod. A lot of religion and philosophy that is blended into that. All right, if you'll stand for me today, I'll come to a close. Blended into that. According to Scripture, according to the Judaic Christian belief of Scripture, there is one God, but he has revealed himself in the flesh of Jesus Christ and dwells in us by the power of the Holy Ghost. By the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And when we started this study, we talked about how essential it is to understand that because that affects other aspects of our belief, other aspects of our faith. It affects our baptism. It affects so many different things. And so it's important to get this thing right. And if the devils believe one God and tremble, then Lord Jesus, help me, help me likewise. And I, I'm, I'm just throwing this out here, and this is, just, this is neither here nor there. This is just kind of like something to feed your mind upon. Nicaea, in, in what's known today as Turkey, Nicaea in biblical times in that area was known as Bithynia. We don't have any record of scripture of anything being per se established in Bithynia. Peter, in 1 Peter at one time, he addressed Cappadocia in a few different cities and he included Bithynia in there. For those who were strangers in this land, people who were true to God, but they were foreign to the world. And I'm just throwing this out there because I don't know. I don't know. This is just a presumption. Okay, this is totally presumption. But I don't know what God may have been protecting, knowing the future. Because you will read in the book of Acts that the apostle Paul after they had come, the Bible says to Mysia, this is in Acts 16, 7. I don't know if you want to throw that up there. That after they were come to Mysia, the Bible says, they essayed to go into Bithynia, which would have been that Turkey, which would have been that Nicaea area. And the Bible says, but the Spirit suffered them not to go at that time. And the only other record we have of Bithynia is Peter in a conglomerate group of others writing to those believers that were scattered in that area. And again, this is total presumption, okay? I want you to understand this more on Pastor McGee part. But could you imagine if they had went what may have tried to have been tied from 4th century developments of a trinity? Well, the apostles were there. You understand what I'm saying? Do you understand that may some harder lines of tying of what they might have tried to do if Paul was allowed to go to Bithynia, to that exact location and area? I don't know. Just presumption totally on my part. Kind of thinking, you know, uh, type of thing, but uh, I'm glad today the old song we used to say or even uh, uh, the, the hymn that we used to sing, it's all in him, it's all in him, the fullness of the Godhead, it's all in him, Alpha, Omega, beginning, end. those verses, folks, are doctrinally correct, those are doctrinally correct. Amen. And we still need to herald them and sing them. The Bible says, John 17 and 3, and I close with this. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. 
Amen. You might know God, and you might not know God in the flesh as the man, Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Someone say amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I know these were heavy waters uh, this week and last week. Amen. For those that appreciate that type of thing, you'll go home and you'll think and you'll ponder and you might do some of your own research, so on and so forth. To those who do not like those type of things, well, come back next week or tonight for that matter. Amen. Next week, we'll continue with our discipleship series. We will be finishing out this series before the end of the year, hopefully. And uh, we're going to be talking about Christian living, which will encompass uh, some holiness. And I know people's minds go different places. Amen. We can talk about that. But we'll be talking about inward and outward. We'll be talking about Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.